Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're talking with a man who's combined his love of photography with his passion for barbecue and leveraged them to create some very exciting new opportunities. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 114 of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Now before we get into this ripper of an episode, I've got a couple of announcements that I want to share with you. One of them is super exciting. So Meat and Fire Media Services has officially launched now. So we're taking all of the things that we do here at Smoking Hot Confessions and making those services available to other businesses who are looking to build their brand and engage more customers. We're kicking things off with our very first online course, brand building through strategic social media marketing. In this course, we take you through the exact systems, strategies, and tools that we use here to promote Smoking Hot Confessions. The lessons are videos with downloadable worksheets and transcripts to make sure we have everybody's learning styles covered. And as a launch special, we want to give all you podcast listeners a 25% discount on this course. If you're ready to take social media marketing seriously, head on over to meetandfiremediaservices.com slash allcourses and use the code word podcast at checkout. Now, if you would like to help us out, do give this video a like and a share on Facebook. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, a subscribe, and hit that little notification bell. If you're watching on IGTV, give us a heart and a follow. And finally, if you're listening on a podcast app, please do give us a five-star rating and review. It only takes a minute of your time, but it really helps us out a lot. Okay, so now in today's episode, we are talking with a man who is no stranger to either an SLR camera or a Weber kettle. His knowledge of media and his passion for barbecue saw him land a spot on the inaugural series of Dipper's Backyard Barbecue Wars. He's now started his very own very successful YouTube channel and is well on his way to becoming the next Pitmaster X. We're chatting with the one and only Dean Schumann, or Shuey to his mates. So today we're going to learn how Dean got hooked on meat and fire, what was it like to be part of Australian barbecue TV history, what life's like now he's a bonafide TV celebrity. We're going to delve into the world of YouTube and how he's finding being a YouTuber, which coincidentally also happens to be my eight-year-old son's career choice um, at the moment. And we're going to finish out this episode with a double lesson. So this is going to be a first for the show. Uh, Shuey was so generous, he's actually decided to come up with two different lessons for us to close out the episode. He's going to give us some tips for taking better food photography and also how to create a great YouTube video. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this episode. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? So, Shuey, mate, welcome to The Confessional and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ben. Mate, it is an absolute honour to have you here. You have done uh, quite a lot for the barbecue scene, particularly down in your way there. And um, so I just want to kick things off by asking you, what was the last thing that you barbecued? Uh, the last thing I barbecued actually was uh, just chicken wings. Yesterday I've had um, some tradespeople coming through. Um, I didn't have a lot of time yesterday, but um, I just, um, you know, any trades that come through, I like to feed them. And um, the guy said he didn't have um, much time. I said, look, I'll do some wings. Um, so he, he punched about 20 wings and then went home. So, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's start things off at the start. Where, where did your barbecue journey start? How did you get into, uh, into cooking the meat on the fire? Um, I moved out of home fairly early. 
uh, I was 16 and um, obviously I was the first of my mates to move out of home. So my house sort of became a party house. And <laughs> the house I first moved into probably wasn't the best and the oven didn't work. So barbecue. Um, look, we'd gone away. Like as a kid, I grew up, we'd go away for family holidays and we had one of those round flat top gases. And my introduction to barbecue was dad would burn everything. And I'd watch everyone at the caravan park having spit roasts and all these really, I'd go, it's got to be better than this. So yeah, when I was 16, it's when I got my first barbecue, mates used to come over and it just sort of snowballed from there. So that little round flat burner gas thing, that wasn't a little bright orange jumbuck by any chance. Certainly was. That was my first barbecue as well. Yep. <laughs> well, that, that was Australian barbecue back then. No one no one was really doing low and slow back then. So, you know, um, I know the Americans um, don't refer to what we generally call barbecue. They say it's grilling. So, um, but if you, back then, as you would know growing up, someone said come over for a barbecue, it meant um, black sausage covered in sauce, um, possibly a black chop and a over well done steak. So. Yeah. And let's not forget the, uh, the, the blackened onions. Oh, blackened onions and the, um, the potato salad that mum would always make. Yeah. So, so how did you find cooking on that little, uh, on that little orange jumbuck there? Mine was, uh, it, it was a workhorse. We would uh, throw university parties and I'd start cooking at 6 PM and finish cooking at about midnight, run through about two of those little ga- uh, camping gas bottle size things and uh, we'd end up cooking for 20, 25 people but it would take me all night. Yeah, I, look, I mean, I, as I said, the, the oven didn't work so that mean there was no stovetop and, um, yeah, so bacon and eggs on it, you name it, lunch, dinner, everything just got cooked on it. So um, I sort of progressed from there and it, and it was probably about a year or two later that is when I got my first kettle. So... Um, and that sort of opened up, you know, a whole new world of possibilities, you know, sort of, you know, you, you start to cook roasts and stuff like that. Um, my mum was a cook, so I sort of knew how to, how to cook food anyway. Um, and it just progressed from there. So. Yeah, right. Now it's, it's interesting that you say that you moved there, um, into a Weber kettle. Cause I can see just in your background there, you've got like a little collection of little Weber statues above your, I'm guessing it's your right shoulder there. Um, yeah, little ones, yeah. just above a giant collection of, cal- of uh, cameras. So let's talk about the, the Weber kettles first. I'm assuming that your favourite barbecue then is a Weber kettle? All right, well, look, I mean, obviously I'm in my study and, um, I mean, those are little miniature ones. Um, I used to have about seven full-size ones in the study and the wife sort of said, look, I'm pretty lenient, but... Um, it's an open study. So as people come through the house, they sort of saw all these Webbers. There is... <laughs> There is still one. Oh, beautiful! One. There it is. So that's that's an unused one. Um, just you know, with with my signature hats with the Australian flag on them. Um, but um, yeah, the other ones all got relegated. I got two garages and a bigger, well, a bigger alfresco now. So, um, and I've got. I think most people have seen the odd photo on Facebook, and I've got this uh, what they call the corral down the backyard, but I call it the naughty corner. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this, I've, I've got around about around about fifty um, Webers. Fifty. Yeah. Wow. And are they all kettles, or have you got like a mix of Smoky Joes and Smoky Mountains and Go Anywheres and all the rest of them? 
Yeah, all a matter of different sizes and shapes, you know. So I've got I've got a few um, go go anywheres. I've got the the small Smoky Joes, um, the larger <clears throat> um, Smokies, and I've got some of the Bullets. Um, I haven't got a small one. Um, so if anyone's got one, I want to pass it on. Just don't tell the wife. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and most of them are the the twenty two inch um, kettle. And um, I recently, well, as last year, threw another, as we like to call them, grill fellas through Weber. Um, he reached out. He'd um, he'd got his hands on a my birth year one, uh, 1972 Copper Mist Imperial Sequoia. So it's actually they they're in a like a wooden cart, um, hard to get, expensive. Um, so yeah, he passed that on to me. It's currently half, half restored. Um, now with the big pergola area, I'll get it done. But yeah, so that's my, um, I can't wait to get cooking on that one. My birth year one and they're hard to get. It's okay for the guys that are about 20. It's easy for them to get a birth year one, but us older blokes, it's a little bit more hunting down. Yeah. So is that the oldest one that, uh, that you've got then? Yeah, that, that is the oldest one. Yeah. I mean, it's. Um, probably in the last, say, five or six years, the prices have skyrocketed. Like oh, anything yeah. collectible, um, and I do have a few different other collections of stuff, but you'll find that people jump on the bandwagon thinking they're on a gold mine. So um, Webers that we used to pick up off, you know, gun free or side of the road for nothing, you'd get them for $5, 10 whereas those ones now are selling for 100 to $200 because – someone puts an ad up and it's a $50 Weber, it used to sit there for months and you could just go, look, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. Um, whereas now they put an ad up for a Weber for $50. Um, within a minute they've had 200 messages and people are offering two, three, four hundred dollars Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then there becomes a lot of in-house fighting people saying, oh, you know, they should stick to the price they wanted to sell it. And I'm like, look, if you auctioned your house um, <laughs> and, you thought, and the real estate said you were going to get $500,000 and they started bidding over that, you wouldn't come in and go, hey, guys, you're being a bit silly here. Like, you know, um, you know, I don't I don't like people that undermine when a deal's done and then they sort of say, hey, I, I don't care, I want to, you know, offer you more. But, um, yeah, it, um, it, it's just too hard to get the older ones now. I mean, you've got to be really lucky. So I don't really chase them anymore. I've turned off all notifications off off Marketplace and Gumtree. It's just not worth it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the last one I got was um, I picked up a 1997 model, so not, not, not that old, and just a plain black one, nothing fancy. It was a one-touch gold with a cover and the hinged grates and the charcoal baskets and a Weber cookbook for 20 bucks. Yeah. And it was a, about two months later. I thought, oh, I'd, I should have a look for another one, and they were two hundred bucks, two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Look, it just it, and it comes back to that old saying. I mean, they they all do the same thing. I know you guys that come onto like say the Weber page and they see people fighting over these different colour, different sizes, and they're like, oh, they all do the same thing. They do, but like anything collectible, people want certain things. They want either the whole range in a certain year or they want what's known as the the, the standard colour scope, which is a red, a blue, a green, a brown and a black. You know, um, I myself just sort of like, um, like them all. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're like a like a chipmunk gathering the uh, get, gathering the Brazil nuts and putting them down in the, inside the tree. Yeah, interesting. So, um, when you are looking to collect a a Weber kettle, then what are you looking for? Um, either something better than the one I've got, like most things collectible. So, like, um, you know, if I've got like a like, I mean, most people that don't collect them don't know the generally on the top vent you'll see a stamp. Um, and um, that'll that'll sort of denote where how old it is. So let's just say I've got a um, a H coated Weber, and I go right. I've got one that's got a few bits of enamel missing and so forth. And I see a better one as a collector. I'm going to try and get that better one, and then I'll move on that other one that I had that's missing a few pieces. Or if there's one there that you know you um, you want um, that color and you just don't have it. Like the GAs that go anywheres, man. The the coloured ones of those are a thousand dollars at the moment. You know, yeah, um, that's, that's you ridiculous. Oh, it is. And the thing is, is um, again, no one wanted them. Like you know, it was like it's it's progressive. It's funny. You, you just sort of like anything collectible. You see this wave of six months of everyone trying to get a certain thing. Three years ago, everyone wanted a blue Weber, as good as you could get one. They're still sought after, but. Right now, it's those coloured GAs, you know, um, and and then like last year, it was the um, the, the the smaller kettle, um, the forty seven centimetre ones. Everyone wanted them in in colours. Now I'm seeing people selling them in droves because guys have got you know they picked up all these Webers. They think they're sitting on a gold mine, but the prices are dropping, and um, they've got to move them on because their wives are probably going, stepping their foot, rolling their eyes, saying, you said this was our retirement fund. Yeah. And um, I was going, oh, well, you know, better get rid of them. So, Yeah, interesting. I I remember seeing uh, there was a fellow down in South Australia who was actually offering a service where he would um, he would pick up brand new go-anywheres and he was re-enameling them in all the uh, – in, in all the popular colours and selling them for about half the price of the um, of the ones that everyone's fighting over. So I, I don't know if you're still doing it, but I thought that was an interesting idea at the time, sort of capitalising on an opportunity. Yeah, I think he is. Um, I think he missed the mark because I think he thought everyone wanted that and obviously a collector doesn't. Like, you know, you want to – I mean, half of it's the chase, finding it, you know. Um, I've, some of the stories, some of the guys have gone into like a little junk shop and they've seen it. There's this coloured Weber, Dusty, $10. Or they've, they're a tradie and they've crawled under a house and there's this go anywhere that's been there for 20 years and they go, oh, what are you doing with that? And they go, you can have it, you know. Um, you know, if um, if you can go in and, and repaint or re-enamel, um, I was working with a, a mob over in Port Melbourne, one of the first companies to re-enamel um, not Weber's but um, barbecues. This guy's been in the trade overseas and now over here for like 40 years and he was just going, look, the cost is going to be through the roof. Like I wanted an Australian flag one done um, and he just goes, look, it, it is just going to be so expensive um, he goes, I'll give you a rough quote of two grand to re-enamel a full-size 57-centimetre because he has to strip it because he goes, I can't guarantee my enamel is going to stick to the other enamel. Um, and, yeah, you look at um, some people go that their webbers have got a crazing or crackling effect because they, they go, oh, because the charcoal was banked up. It's generally only on the coloured webbers because they put black on and then they put the colour on 
So it's probably not adhered, even in Weber's um, factory or wherever they're getting it done. Um, I know some black ones have craze, but, I mean, you don't know what's happened to it, like have someone used it as a bonfire pit and just got the temps so hot. But in saying that, they're enamelled at 815 degrees Celsius, so they should be able to take a fair bit of heat. So uh, it's fairly an anomaly or uh, a badly abused Weber that's going to get that hazing. But, yeah, oh, look, I definitely wouldn't bother buying a five or $600 GA that someone's re-enamelled because I don't know what process they went through and... Realistically, um, I could just get some heat-proof paint if I really want to change the colour of the outside and just touch it up every time I scratch it. So, yeah. <laughs> good point, good point. So of that um, of that 50 then, what would be your favourite? Is it that, um, that, that birth year Sequoia? Um, yeah, it will be when I finish restoring it. Um, it's currently in pieces over my... Um, um, my 50-year um, HGU, so um, I can't get that out of the garage because, um, I mean, the garage is chockers full of, like, tools and stuff, but also webbers and stuff, so I've got, like, a little pathway I can make my way around it, but um, I don't have shed space where I can openly restore stuff, so um, I, um, I took it all apart. I've done the rough sand on it, to take the cart back to um, um, just wood and um, I, I'm halfway through doing the uh, finer sand on it and I just need space to stain it because I've had the big pergola area built. Um, I should hopefully get that done over the next couple of months. Um, but, yeah, look, it, other than that, I think the white one, I, I, um, I, I had a guy advertise a few years back and he just happened to be two minutes down the road from me. I didn't know that. He just put up um, a post on the Weber page and said, hey, um, I've got a white or an ivory Weber, um, put a photo up, had a few little dings on it. He said, what's a uh, decent price? I want to let it go. I just messaged the guy and I said, look, currently the blues and reds and all that are, are fetching anywhere from two to three, three fifty. Um, like I'll be honest, it's a white one. I just don't see anyone using a white one here in Australia. Um, I'll offer you 350, 400. What do you want? And he said, How about you come and have a look? And I said, Yeah, all right. It was 10 o'clock at night, it was pouring down rain, <laughs> two minutes away. Found out the guy had had, um, I think that gastric sleeve operation. Okay, yep. And um, so he was keeping one just a standard Weber, um, and he goes, yes, i got to get rid of it. And I had a look, and I had a couple of dings on it. I said, look, will you take three fifty for it? And he goes, yeah. He goes, look, a lot of guys were offering me 100 200 whatever. He goes, but you actually explained why you were offering, why you are offering it. And um, um, I offered, at, as I said, at the time, the, the coloured ones were probably really only getting about 300 and that was in perfect condition. Um, but I said, look, I'll, even though it's got a couple of dings, I'll offer you a bit more because... Um, I just don't see white ones. So I think most people consider that I had the first white one, although it's not a new one. He got it off a guy from the UK, brand new. The guy came over here. Then he wanted to go back home. And he goes, and he brought it off him and it had for a couple of years. But now since guys have imported older ivory kettles from um, America and so forth now. So, but yeah, I use that one all the time. Um, and purely just to stare other people up that don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. 
Alrighty. So from that from that competition experience with with Full Metal Kettle, then is that how you ended up being a part of Dipper's Backyard Barbecue Wars? Nah, it's a reversal actually. Oh, um, okay. Me and my wife had taken the family over to Bali for the first time in 2016. We came back. Um, we were we'd gone to the movies with the kids, and we said, "Look, um, let's just grab some takeaway." Um, and um, I said, look, let's look for something different. And we we drove, we were local. Um, we, we drove down, saw a restaurant open that said Asian. We went in there, liked the food, um, got talking to the owner. Um, we used to go in there a fair bit. And my wife goes, you know he actually produces a couple of fishing shows. And by that stage, he'd come over at the end of our meal and shout me a few beers and we'd have a bit of a yak while the kids were having a yak and the wife would have another wine. And I just said to him one day, um, oh, look, I love my fishing. I grew up on the beach um, and um, at Port Phillip Bay. And um, I just said, how about a barbecue show? He goes, what have you got in mind? So I told him the idea that I had, which was every cooking show on TV follows that same format, celebrity judges, focus on the drama, have to be a Michelin star chef um, and kick people out. I said, how about we just have some Aussie humour, maybe four blokes, all cook a meal, all taste it, have a beer, have a laugh, um, but also share some tips along the way. Over probably eight months, he'd come up and sort of say, tell me that idea again. And then one day I got a call. He goes, mate, I've got my production team in my restaurant. Can you come down now? I want you to spill to them. We did that. We then, he said, right, I need you. You can you can go pick the other people and you're going to be on the show. It's your idea. So I actually called um, Juzzy or Justin Graddon from um, Smokeface Grillers um, and I said, mate, I told him of the idea. Would you like to be on it? And he goes, yep. From there, he, he said, who else have you got? And I said, look, I haven't. I go, look, I just know you and your products. Obviously, uh, no, I don't know if most people would know, but Juzzy makes um, the offset plates and that for the Webbers, so I definitely knew of him. Um, and he was a, always come across as a decent bloke. And he goes, he actually suggested Dan Barrett, um, who at the time was the current Australian champion, and, um, and Boomer. I must admit, I really wasn't heavy on the Australian Barbecue Alliance page. Um, I saw it was mainly focused to comp, so it really didn't interest me. Um, and I'll, I'll be the first time to admit that I didn't really know of Dan or Boomer at that stage, but I met the guys. We got off really well. And um, and at our first meeting, Boomer said, mate, we've got a spot open. Would you like to know what comp's all about? And I said, mate, I'll jump at it. And and that happened to be Meatstock was my first one. Um, and then through that, um, you know, it was, he just goes, look, do one or two, tell us if you like it. If you like it, you can stay on the team. If not, you know, you know, at least you have the experience. And, mate, Meatstock, I, I was hooked. And before Meatstock started, um, Jay had spoken to me, Jay Beaumont, um, and he goes, mate, we're doing a Weber display. I've seen you, you, I've seen your Webbers. Would you mind doing a display? And I said, yeah, oh, mate, I'd love to. So, um, yeah, that's why that sort of happened and um, set up the ute and took in um, some different um, coloured Webbers and so forth and set them up. And, um, 
Yeah, the bug hit. Like, I mean, I love, I said I love comp, but I just don't know when I'll get back to it. I definitely will at some stage, but, um, yeah, I might even do a little float around other teams that are competing and just sort of put my hand up, even if I'm, you know, washing dishes or picking parsley or whatever just to, to help out. But I just, I like the, the atmosphere is great and um, I definitely miss catching up with the guys because, I mean, as you would know, you, you speak to guys online and guys from interstate, you probably only see them two or three times a year but when you see them it's like you've seen your best mate again and you just hit it off again so definitely love it but yeah that's how it happened it was the tv show the idea um and then from that progressed into the competition side of things yeah awesome and what was the public response to the show like Absolutely loved it. Um, like, I mean, look, there was obviously there was critics. Not everyone's going to be a fan of it. There's and, always and critics, you, yeah. <laughs> and you expect that. You, you, we went into it knowing that um, the comp guys, mates or not mates, would be would watch it to be very critical. We knew that, um, and we knew other people would um, watch it to learn. Other people would watch because they love barbecue. Um, the ratings were great. Um, hence why they offered it, um, a, a second series. And to my knowledge, it's the only, um, Australian barbecue show to get a series too. It is. Um, it is. So, you know, um, to know my, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know, I'm, I, even though it was my idea and I was meant to be progressing forward and so are the other boys. None of us are on board with season two. There's other people. I won't delve into it too much why, but, um, I can sit back with a big smile on my face going, I did that. I made that. And I, look, there, it was a team of people that did it, but it was my idea. Like um, it wouldn't have happened if Boomer didn't jump on board. It wouldn't have happened if Dan, and then Dan at the last minute sort of, um, he had so much on that Scott, um, Scott Gould just jumped in at the last minute and said, mate, I'm on board, whatever you need. Um, and realistically, I think Scott became the star of the show. He was, he's, just, he's a character. He knows what he's doing. Um, and he was able to articulate it to the general public. Um, but yeah, it's, um, like with Juzzy, Boomer, um, Scott, myself, um, and there was a couple of people behind the scenes and so forth like that. The media guys, um, and the, the sound, the sound engineer, these guys had worked on some big stuff away from like that pilot. Um, you know, it was, um, it was fantastic and it was just fun. We did like all eight episodes in one week. Wow. Um, it was like, it was grueling, but fun. Like it really was. Um, so yeah, it's, um, I'd like to say to anyone, if you can, if you can do it, do it. But like, it just does, the opportunity just doesn't come up, you know, to, um, create your own TV show, but like, you know, it nearly didn't happen. Like, you know, I mean, um, Seven and Mate sort of showed some interest. Um, then it sort of died down a bit. Um, they're the ones that decided they wanted um, a competition aspect of it. So, spoiler alert, I wrote who won each episode. Um, <laughs> I had mates ringing me up going, mate, can't you cook? Like, what's your problem? <laughs> like, um, but, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was fun. It really was. It was, um, I, I, I tend to be a half glass full. and. Um, you know, you, even though it was it was a big slog, um, um, us guys like you know, I think we'll all look back on it and go, you know, it was fun. Even even the two pilots we did, we had so much fun doing those. Like we did the first pilot in my backyard was on the hottest day 
in summer that we'd had for years. And then the second pilot we did on the coldest and wettest day we'd had in years. <laughs> and I'm not making that up. Like we're there with umbrellas in the pilot with rain coming sideways going, yeah, so it's lovely and warm. You know? It's a great <laughs> so, day for a barbecue. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we just sort of ad-libbed it and sort of said it's Melbourne weather, you know, what do you expect? You know, it's, you know, you want a barbecue, get out there and barbecue. So, but, yeah, it was fantastic. It really was. And, um, you know, um, made made some good mates out of it too, so. Absolutely, yeah. So was that was that um, that success of that TV show? What what motivated you to get into Shuey's Barbecue on YouTube? Um, yeah, yeah, to a degree. Um, the fact that um, I wasn't progressing with the show anymore, um, and no one can tell me what to do. So, it, although a watered down version of my original idea of having say four guys barbecuing and having that banter, um, and having a beer while you have that banter. Um, that was the other thing. The beer got taken off us while we were filming. Um, no. I don't know why. Um, I had, did have a few mates ring me and say, hey, um, I can tell the episodes you had a few times. So. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Shuey's Barbecue was just, it, it was the idea I'd had for a, a while. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I delved into it. So I actually studied analytics on YouTube for about 10 months before I even hit record. Oh, like, wow. Um, I sort of, I didn't want to just jump in and go, hey, I'll see how we go. I sort of wanted to hit the ground running with a little bit of an idea. I I had a a plan which was record it, tweak it, polish it, and then build it. Unfortunately, um, or fortunately I should say, um, you can't control those things. So it builds itself ergonomically. I don't ask, I mean, like I'll tell people, if you like it, subscribe, but I don't put a post up anywhere saying, oh, get a mate to like it, share it, Matt. I want people who want to watch. And um, it just progressed. And then, like um, as I said, then sponsors jumped on board, um, you know, approaching me and saying, how, do, how can we be a part of this. This is fantastic. I love the, I love the idea. Um, and I said, um, have you got the right person? Are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but like, it's just, um, yeah, it's blown me away. Like it really has. Like I, I had it in my head that I would like to reach 500 subscribers within a year. Within eight months, I hit a thousand subscribers. And for people that don't know, for YouTube, that's a hard thing. I know guys that have been doing this a lot longer than me, and they're at two or three hundred subscribers and messaging me, going, "How are you doing it?" I go, "I tell you, but mm, put in some hard work." Um, look, it's luck. A lot of it is luck. I found a niche. It's Webers, so people come to me, and you've got to stick to that niche. I've seen a lot of people hit a thousand subscribers, and then go, you know what? I'm better than this niche. I'm going to do something else, and then they bomb, and no one watches it, and no one shares it. Um, so it's um, yeah, it's just a, a matter of luck. It really is. It's um, you know, and, and, and hard work and, and so forth, but um, and having fun with whatever you're doing, you've got to have fun. If people don't see you having fun, why would they? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch it. You know. Um, but yeah, so that's where the beer timer sort of thing comes into it. It's a bit of a jovial thing, you know. Um, you know, cook chicken wings. I know they normally take thirty minutes, so it's one beer. So my beer timer is one beer for every thirty minutes, um, except when you 
get someone like Justin from Snakeface Grillers and it's like a case every 30 minutes. Um, he leaves <laughs> me out of beer. But, um, the, yeah, the premise is, is then to move on. I want to have a Pitmaster series where I, I bring on other Pitmasters because, again, once I started u- doing the YouTube, um, I had um, other barbecuers from comp teams just message me out of the blue around Australia and go, um, can we be a part of it? Yeah. Um, and I go, yeah, man, like, you know, if we can hook this up, damn, yeah. So I had this idea of a pitmaster series. I've also got an idea. I'm, there's a lot of guys out there that are exceptional barbecues that don't compete. So I'm going to do a backyard series of these guys. Um, and I've also got a series on the, the go anywhere for camping. Um, I've got a lot of mates that have brought them for the tips I've given them on how to use them, and they go, please make some videos. I go, well, it's it's there, but uh, obviously under COVID, I can't get out and about. You're not allowed to. And, and now in Victoria, they're checking, you know, where you're driving and where you're not driving. So um, it is here. Yeah. So it is part and parcel in sort of like the TV show. That's where that sort of um, want to make YouTube. But, yeah, no one can dictate, hey, do this, you know, put this on. Um, I want to try and keep it as family friendly as I can, except when I'm yelling at my neighbour who mows the lawns, which most people see when they watch the bloopers, but or yell at the odd dog or something like that. But yeah, it's 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 have fun, and hopefully someone can learn off me. You know, if not, at least they're enjoying it. So yeah, for sure. Now I know that um, one big question that a lot of people out there are going to be wanting to ask is how do people make money on YouTube? Um. Like how does the, of, how does the business yeah. side of YouTube work? Well, there's a few ways. So, off YouTube itself, you've got to have a thousand subscribers and four thousand watch hours. You can then apply to monetize your account where you can put ads in. So we've all clicked on something and an ad pops up, and you go, ah, skip ad, right? So, but like you'll make nothing on that. Like not not unless you've got like a million followers. America is a lot more advanced than us there, guys, because they all use Amazon to sell product. So it's called affiliate marketing. So uh, you mentioned Pitmaster X. You go and have a look where it says show more underneath the description of his videos, and there'll be a link of like 60 items he's used. Might not even be in that episode, but it'll be a link to Amazon. And he'll get a kickback off that. So I'm in the process of trying to set that up here, um, some affiliate marketing. The other way is obviously um, paid promotion, I suppose. Um, My sponsors don't pay me anything. I told them not to. Um, Some of them jumped at me and said, how much do we have to give you? What do you want to be on? What what do you want? Stock, money? What, what, you know, I said at this point in time, um, I just need product. I'd rather get it down to the point like in comp where it's not costing me anything yeah, or costing yeah. me as little as possible. Um, but they all know in the back of their head that this is progressing. So I have since been paid for episodes. So like I said, that was early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's more I would, if anyone wants to make money off their YouTube, is one, you, you've got to have people watching it. Otherwise, you just can't sell it. So um, you've got to show that there's progression there um, and you've got to have that progression. You've got to put content up on a regular basis. Now, unfortunately, I haven't been able to. 
Um, but it's still climbing. Once you hit that thousand subscriber mark, um, it still kept climbing. So my last video went up four weeks ago and you and me were talking earlier, I, I, I contracted pneumonia. Um, I've in that four weeks without doing anything, I've got another 80 subscribers come on board. Nice. Right. Um, and another two sponsors that have reached out to me that we're in negotiation of where we go. Um, you know, so, and I've done nothing, you know, I've, you know, but I think the algorithm with YouTube itself is once you get that thousand subscribers, they sort of go, Hey, you're serious about this. And they, I think they bump your video a little bit for you. Um, cause I have noticed the watching on some of the videos rise as well. Um, but affiliate marketing, if anyone really wants to make some money on it, I think that's, that's gotta be an Australian has to progress into that. So we've got Amazon here. Let's use it. Like it, it's not hard for a company to set it up. And then I know for a fact products that I use and I love them all because I've knocked a lot of people back that wanted to sponsor me. Um, if I don't agree on the product, I don't want to use it. I'm not brutally rude or, or it's, there just might be a contradiction with what I'm using. You know, I think it, maybe it's too much of a crossover. But if I put up and, and say, hey, I'm using this today and I'm putting it on that, people listen to that. So all my sponsors have said there's been spikes every time I use a product, which is what I want for them. They're helping me. I want to help them. Um, and therefore, affiliate marketing has to be the way to go. It really is. I mean, America, all American barbecuers and cookers and stuff like that or whatever, you look at any niche over there, they're all doing affiliate marketing and just here it's just not utilised. And realistically, it isn't that hard for a company to set up. So as I said, I, I'm writing up a bit of a plan now and I'm going to over the next month or so start contacting a few companies um, that, I know that can benefit from it and hopefully I can benefit because again, okay, they give me a product. I use it. Let's say a rub. They're, they're out of pocket $10. They give me a link to Amazon where they can sell it. They'll know whether or not they're actually, it's worth giving me that $10 product. But from that, I'm making money every time someone clicks on that link from me directly. Not a lot. I mean, I'm not expecting 90% of their profit, but um, you know, it, it, and it, and people just have to realise that you're just not going to get rich on YouTube. And if you're getting into it to make money, um, I think people will pick up on it. I've seen some YouTubers stressing that they're going, come on, I want to hit that 1,000 subscribers. I want to hit 4,000 watch hours because I want to make money off this. And people are going, well, I don't want to watch you because you want to make money. I want to watch you because you want to show me what, you know, something, you know, um, and it will, and it will, it shows the stress in the person's face. Um, and then you'll see them in a video stressing why no one likes their video. And I'm like, no one's tuning in to hear you gripe and moan about, you know, why you're not making money. So I would, I would suggest if someone wants to do it, like your son, get into it, enjoy it. If you enjoy it, People will find you and they will like you, you know. The only other way is um, and then share on an associated Facebook page. Um, you know, don't ram it down people's throats. Don't ask people to get their mates to join because then you've got this viewer base that are going to do nothing for you. They're not going to like your videos. They're not going to watch them. You want an ergonomic sort of um, growth in, in whatever you're doing. But, yeah, so enjoy it. Affiliate marketing, that's the way to go. 
You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd Ben Arnott. Alrighty, so let's jump into the uh, third segment now. You're going to um, bless us with two different lessons for us today. We're going to start off with food photography. So you are actually a, a photographer by profession. And uh, so how about you lay some tips on us for getting the most out of uh, pictures of our lovely food that we want to share on Instagram and whatnot? All right. Um, first lesson, um, and again, if you actually uh, were to do a course in photography, whether it be um, – four-year course or a weekend course, the first thing they're going to tell you is lighting. Lighting, lighting, lighting. Good lighting is going to make or break it. So good lighting is, um, best way to explain it is you want a big light source that's diffused. So a window with the sun coming through and put something up um, like um, you can buy like clear shower curtains like opaque ones, and that'll diffuse that that light coming through. The same as if you look in the sky and you've got the sun and that a small light source is a hard light source. So if the sun's out, you look at your shadow and all the lines are really defined. Then watch it when the cloud comes over and diffuses it and all the, all the sharp lines disappear and it's just a nice diffused light. Your shadow's still there, but there's no hard lines. You want diffused lighting, okay? You don't want harsh shadows on, on your food. Um, so you realistically need to look at the fact, like, so if you're going to do, let's say, a steak and you've got your lighting set up, so generally most, the best way to do most lighting is what's called is Rembrandt lighting. So you just have to go and look at any Rembrandt picture and effectively it's 45 degrees, 45 degrees. So it's 45 degrees off to the side and 45 degrees from the top coming down. And if you look at any Rembrandt picture, you'll see there's a little triangle on every cheek that he painted because the shadow of the nose and all that, and that's, you know, as I said, 45 degrees. I've actually got a light source up there, my video light source on Rembrandt lighting. Um, it's not doing much for my face. I can't help that. Plastic surgery. <laughs> but, um, that, that is your go-to sort of lighting that you want. And again, as I said, like if you're using a window for your food and your food's on a table, you're automatically going to get that Rembrandt lighting. So you just have to focus your camera where the sun's now coming down on a 45-degree angle as well. So if you, your sun's down low and it's coming straight across your food, the top of your food's not going to be lit, you know. Um, the other thing is if you find you are getting harsh shadows, just grab something white and bounce the light back. So if your light source is on this side, you just put something white here and bounce it back. Um, and that can be a white piece of paper, a white T-shirt, white bit of card. It really doesn't matter. Um, I mean, if you want to go out, you can buy um, some photography stuff and, and, and um, diffusers and so forth like that. You can get cheap ones for 20 or 30 bucks off off, um, off eBay and that. But as I said, every, everyone's got a bit of white bit of paper, right? Even that, like look at, 
you just put it there and it will shine whatever. So you take it away, it creates a shadow, you put it back. And the same is if you find one side's too bright, you put something black there and it will absorb that light. So lighting, that is your key thing. The second thing is food photography needs to make people hungry. If it's not making, if you don't look at it and go, mate, I want to eat that, I want to lick that screen, I want to eat that, it's like, I mean, that's why you just have to look at um, a Big Mac advertisement. Like, we know, we know they don't look like that, but they don't even cook that burger. They draw those those grill marks and stuff on, and you know, it's it's just placed there to make it look really tempting and they'll spray oil on it or water on it for little drips and stuff like that. Um, that's why you see people do a steak, a steak one, they'll cut it and they'll see juice or they'll do it with a flame. Everyone goes, oh, it's flame grilled. That looks awesome. Um Burgers, I mean, everyone likes to hold the big burger up like that. I mean, I can't eat a triple um, patty burger, but, geez, it looks good. Um, and then you just have to, beyond that, you have to look at the setup that you're doing. Um, so, like, you just have to look at some of my photos. If I'm going to do a before shot, so I'll have the, let's say, steak, I'll go and get some of the pink butcher's paper, I'll rip some off, I'll crease it all up, I'll put that down on the table so you've got that textured sort of look. Then I'll put the two steaks down. Then I'll get the rub. I might sprinkle some of the rub around. Um, I might get one of the knives I'm using or I might get an old um, cleaver that I've got. I'll put that in shot. I'll even then sometimes get like a couple of um, beer bottle lids and squeeze them up and put them there and a, and a beer bottle opener and stuff like that. Just things associated with it. So it's not just a raw piece of meat, which isn't really that appetizing, but a lot of people like to show that first shot and then progress that through to the finished product. You know, um, you know, your steak well done um, or not well done, but cooked. Um, so it looks good. Grill marks on it. Um, I don't really use my grill, grill grates a lot, but for a, a photo, I mean, it, it just looks fantastic. Um, and then um, cut it open and show that it's, you know, a, a medium rare or a medium, you know, with that pinky hue. And if not, learn how to Photoshop. I just said colour corrections. Yeah, that's it. And then beyond that, like if you really want to delve into it, like, you know, I mean, I generally clean everything. So, you know, it's just at the back of my head, all the little details. But like when you use editing software, you can take out a little speck here or a little speck there. And and the other thing is that it's just thinking of other angles that other guys aren't using, you know. Um, I did a shot of a steak looking up through a Weber. So the steak's there, you see the grill, you see the charcoal. I know that and photo, people, yeah. And people still guess, would this would this be the time to now let everyone know how it was done? Yeah, yeah, please <laughs> do, yeah, yeah. Um, it was an old beaten up red Weber and I took a jigsaw to it and cut a big bloody hole in it. <laughs> I figured it must have been something like that because from the angle of it, it looks like you've actually got the camera inside, like yep, and down I'm with sure the charcoal. I'm sure there's a few melted iPhones out there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's all it was. I mean, it was a really gnarly one that was not worth bringing back. Um, it was a roadside find, and I just, like, I'm always thinking of different ways and different shots that I can do. And um, I just went, you know what, I'm going to do this. I did it, posted it up, people love it. 
um, shared it around, um, and um, it makes other people think. You know, I mean, as I said, you, you you try and look for something that someone else hasn't done. Fine to replicate what other guys have done. I mean, like um, I I wouldn't be the first person that did a shot from underneath of anything, but as a steak getting cooked in a Weber and you see the charcoal, I've not seen one done like that. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's just trying to think of, and not everyone's creative in that way, but you learn by watching other people um, and then just try and think and be a bit creative. So get the shot that you want, the one that's in your head, you should already know what you want and then have a bit of a play with it before your food goes cold or your family starts yelling at you and say, can we eat you? Um, so I've got pretty quick at taking photos, obviously, because I am a qualified photographer. So I think most people you get some, or not most, but you get some people saying, you know, I, um, I don't know how you guys get photos that food gets eaten so quick. But uh, my kids know not to put their fingers near my food. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I, I think I've met them. The oldest one's got about two, two fingers missing, don't they? Or? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so those um, um those those tips for photography then, do they carry over into when you're shooting your YouTube videos? Uh they do. I mean you, you again you you've got to have good lighting. And unfortunately, like where I was positioned working um or trying to do the YouTube under my existing alfresco and the lighting wasn't great. And um the cameras I'm using to film on my DSLRs, now they're professional for photography and they have a video function, but their main aim isn't video. So they take a little bit more reworking and they don't have autofocus. And and um, so, yeah, it was a bit off. I've since upgraded the lighting. Um, this would be one of the lighting. Um, so, yeah, I spent quite a lot of money knowing that I was going forward um, in lockdown and um, that, you know, I sort of was building um, effectively a YouTube set um, and um, was thankful enough that my wife was happy that I'd spend about 10 grand on equipment and a um, YouTube set. Um, wow. I mean, look, it's a pagola, which we always plan to put in. but like, Oh, it's that includes been- the pagola. It does include. Oh, I thought you bet you spent ten grand just on lights and cameras. I was like, ooh. Uh, I've, I've, look, the, the cameras I'm going to keep using for now, um, but yeah, the I mean, I, I upgraded the audio to um, Rode wireless mics and um, the lighting as well. So I've I've spent about two grand on gear um, just recently, um, but yeah, about eight grand on doing the pedola, and then I probably got about another grand in in putting the the, the set up and. Um, some lighting and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, like to do YouTube or any sort of video, it's a slightly different process. Um, have a script. You, you just need a script because my first – I had a script for every every video, um, but the first few, like sort of I wanted to be around that 10-minute mark. I wanted guys to be able to watch it at work during the lunch break but still be able to talk to their workmates. But they're blown out to like nearly 30 minutes. And think, I think some did actually get to 30 minutes. And so, as I said before, you know, um, it was record, tweak it. So I've tweaked – my script, I've actually got it down to about seven minutes now, which is I wanted a little bit longer. Um, and I said I want to be at that 10-minute mark for my videos. I reckon that's the sweet spot. And um, so, yeah, have a script. Um, you want B-roll footage. So B-roll footage is all that 
moving stuff in between. So I could be like, if anyone watches one of my videos, I'll start with one or two or three sentences and then you'll actually see me doing it. Whereas on the earlier videos, I would say, hey, I'm about to put this roast chicken in the Weber. And then I'd film me putting the roast chicken in the Weber. So I've just doubled the time and I didn't need to. So B-roll footage is me saying I'm doing something and then the footage of me actually doing it is with me speaking about it. Um, you need those, what they call the money shot. So you really want to see if there's sauce getting dribbled on it, if there's rub going on it, or if you're cutting through a, a brisket and you see juice going everywhere, that's what you want at the start of your video. You click on a video, just like a photo, you want to, you want to feel hungry. So someone's coming to my channel to see barbecue. They don't need to see this thing yapping at them for two minutes before they see food. So you want food up front. So you'll see all my videos have the finished product. No one wants to see the raw product. They want to go, right, that's, I want to make that. How do I make that? So show a bit of that. Get in, tell them what you're doing. Don't tell them about your whole life story. Be nice and quick about it. Um, I decided to put in a big, you know, startup animation. I've done that. I come back and I remind them, hey, we're doing this with a little bit more information and then we just get into it. And then I've got my stages. So you've got your prep. What are you using? How are you setting up your barbecue? What temps? How many beers you need to drink um, while you're cooking? All the way down to the taste test. And then as everyone, um, I grew up in the 80s watching movies where bloopers were at the end of most of the movies, hence why I've kept the, the bloopers in there. And it sort of shows that not everything goes to plan, which it can't. Like it's, you know, um, I'm not a professional. I'm not trying to be. Um, I'm trying to have a bit of fun. Um, yeah, no, look, it, it, is a, it is a slightly different process. But, again, it, in saying that, you still need good lighting, which now I have. I haven't used this lighting in any videos yet, as I said, because I, I have been crooked for the last month. Um, sound. Sound is imperative. I, I Guys messaging me saying, like, you know, again, going back, how, how are you getting views or subscribers? And I go, mate, you sound shocking. Like, I can't hear or it's, you know, the, the wind coming through is, like, no one's going to sit there and, watch 20 minutes of that it's just going to hurt your ears you just turn off and you don't go back unfortunately and and you have one chance sometimes to win someone over like this they say there's um four thousand videos a minute uploaded to youtube so you've got a you've got a split second to make someone go i like that and i'm going to subscribe um, but yeah, and then you've actually got to, and it, it's tiring, but you've got to interact with every one of those subscribers. So if they ask you a question, answer it. Like I love doing it, but it's time consuming. So I've got to allow time. So, um, I've now made myself, um, a bit of a, a schedule where I'm going to allow two days a week to film two days a week to edit those, um, footages those those videos and one day to do the social media now i might not do it all in the one day i might spread that over those five days but and i know i can edit and film a lot quicker but i also tend to underestimate how much time i need and then really start running around but um i i can really film in a day and a half and edit 
in about a half a day to a day, depending on the B-roll footage that goes in, um, and then obviously make the animations and stuff like that that I want to put in. Um, purely because I want to do a full cook every week and upload that on a Saturday and I want to keep up with my how-to videos, like how to set up a barbecue. Because a lot of people don't want to watch the whole thing. They just want to, I've got, I know what I'm going to cook, but how do I do it? So, but yeah, YouTube is, yeah, your lighting, the sound and content and, and have fun doing it. Like, unless unless you're angry, Dad, which was great. I used to love watching that. Um, but the, the boys themselves had fun doing it. So it, it can, still comes on to it. You've got to have fun doing it. And if you're not, people are going to pick up on it and they go, geez, this guy's a bit moody, you know. Um, you know, it's all right to be moody if something goes wrong, but generally show that you're having fun in something you're doing um, and other people out there will find it and they'll go, you know what, I actually like this. I'm going to hit that subscribe button. I'm going to like it. I'm going to share his video. I'm going to comment. And you know what? As I am just an average dad, but it's funny when people question me or send me a message and go, dude, I'm so stoked that you replied back. I go, I'm on a movie star, mate. Like, get over it. Like, you know, I'm just an average guy like yourself. Um, I've just been cooking on these things for 30 years. That's it. So uh, hopefully you can learn something off me and hopefully you'll then show me something, you know, that I've not thought of. So. Yeah, there's some beautiful ideas in that man, and that idea of that uh, that reciprocal exchange of knowledge. Um, that's uh, that that's what it's all about. So, listen, this is probably a good time now to uh, to start closing out this episode. So, I'm going to throw the microphones over to you, and I'm going to leave it out to you now to um, to give some shout outs to whoever you want to uh, put some thanks out there into the universe, and of course, tell everybody where they can track you down on those social medias we've just been talking about. Yeah, sweet. Um, look, I think I have to start with. Uh, the sponsors who jumped on board with me fairly early on, Nick and Cassandra from um, Slow Burn Smoking Wood. Um, the next one is um, Tom Tommy uh, Delmont from Fixation Brewery. Um, then we have to look at um, Juzzy, Justin Graddon from um, JG Barbecue, Smokeface Grillers. Um, and then beyond that, like you've got... Um, Duchess of Pork, um, who sell rubs and smokers and sauces. Um, Dan Barrett, um, he's a mate now. Um, I think a lot of people have seen that I just constantly flog four monkeys. Beyond that, I just have to thank um, the family. Um, they put up with a lot. Like, you know, the stress of the, the TV show um, when I was doing competition. Like the wife, um, we got four kids. They mean so much to me. I'm a, I'm a family man, so yeah, it's um, that that'd be the biggest shout out, um, and and a, and a bit of a shout out to me neighbour, the one who mows his lawns all the time because I do yell at him a lot. So, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. I've, I've I've seen them in the in the blooper reel. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Dean. It's been uh, it, it's been great to have you on the show, and um, I I really hope that you're up to uh, what. This is day 109 in, in lockdown, you said. You've just gone into another six weeks, so we're probably not going to see you till you're over the 200-day mark. And, uh, mate, if I see you talking to a volleyball, we're going to have to have a conversation, an intervention. <laughs> Look, Dean, thanks very much for your time and thanks for coming on board and best of luck with the rest of your lockdown. Thank you very much, Ben. It's been a pleasure and I really appreciate you reaching out. <laughs> 
And there you have it, family. That was Dean Schumann, a.k.a. Shuey, to his friends from Shuey's Barbecue. What a generous guy. We learned about his love of photography and barbecue, his time on national television, and he was incredibly generous by not giving us one but two lessons in not only how to take better food pics, but also how to shoot a great barbecue video for YouTube. I have a funny feeling we're going to see several more barbecue YouTube channels popping up in the very near future. So before we go, just take a minute and give this video a like and a share on Facebook, a thumbs up, subscribe and hit the bell on YouTube, a heart and a follow on Instagram TV and a five-star rating review on your podcast app. It lets our robot overlords know that you like this show and they should show it to other people who might like it too, which really helps us out as well. And just head over to meetandfiremediaservices.com and check out what we're doing over there. We've got some good stuff coming up. And so that's all we have time for today. So until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. Mm-hmm.